0: and Welcome back to the LawCast. This time we're going back to cover a show that somehow has both a TLC match and a Hell in a Cell match. It's Unforgiven 2006. Kyush, what the hell was going on in WWE this year? I have no idea. The mid-thousands is the time that
1: we traditionally think of as probably the craziest by any company in the history of professional wrestling, and that includes like WCW in 2000 and... Fucking Chikara and Hustlemania and all this other shit. Like it, it's it's they're being pulled in so many wildly different directions at the same time, and they're like taking gigantic swings all over the place. Like if we yell at WWE these days for never actually taking a chance on anything, in
0: 2006 they're taking wild chances on everything. <laughs> yeah, it's always, always felt to me like 2006 is kind of a year of desperation because. You'd have to think the year before this, when that WrestleMania where they make both Cena and Batista, and they got these two new superstars as their champions. They've got to feel like there's about to be another boom. And then it doesn't happen. Like business is flat and it actually starts to go downhill. And I feel like this year they start to panic and we start to see just like the weirdest stuff in Vince McMahon's psyche. And it's funny because
1: there are like two halves to this year right half number one is they come up with all of these like huge ideas to build business and for better or for worse like i don't think that there's another year in this company's history even going back to when they were trying to be competitive with wcw that they try so many huge things they bring back dx they launch ecw as a third brand like they do all this wild and crazy shit and then on the other hand we get all these new characters that are just like literally like what did Vince McMahon not like growing up? What does Vince McMahon think a heel looks like? What is Vince McMahon's personal feeling about these people? Yeah. So I feel we, like I mean, this is the most Vince year.
0: Probably. Um, yeah, a lot of weird things going on that we'll get to. I mean, so we've, we've talked several times about ECW. I mean, they brought back ECW. It started off with a ton of promise with that first, that awesome one-night stand show where RVD won the title from Cena. And it... Almost immediately, like, it flopped right after that. Like, even before RVD and Sabu had, you know, their drug incident, like, the promotion was already a disaster. Their TV show was unwatchable. It was clear that Vince was going to end up firing Heyman and, like, remaking the show. Um, So, of course, RVD and Sabu get caught smoking weed in the car. They get suspended. They take the belt off RVD. He loses it to Edge. Loses the WWE title to Edge on Raw. Um, It was like Raw right before the 4th of July, which is like usually a show where nothing would happen because it's a holiday. And instead, they do a massive title change on it just because the situation necessitated it. And that's super wild. Like, can you remember anything that's
1: ever really happened then because that's one of like the few holidays that vince mcmahon likes to celebrate so you always feel like he kind of mails it in like somebody just put together a red white and blue video package let's get the fuck out of here yeah
0: like sometimes they'll do it sometimes they'll do a tape draw for that like depending if it actually falls on i mean particularly when it actually falls on the holiday which i don't think this one did i feel like this was like the day before but that's still when when, like, the 4th of July is that Tuesday. People are on vacation that weekend and that Monday. Like, yeah, nobody was around to watch this show. And then, I think on the 4th of July proper, they had Van Dam lose the ECW title to the big show.
1: Which, at the time, I, I very clearly remember thinking, was like, all right, well, this is the end of ECW. This is the stupidest shit in the whole world. Big Show's a total WWE guy. This isn't going to work. Blah, 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 blah. And maybe that wound up probably being the only good decision yeah. they make during the entire course of ECW. It big was show respects. Probably, probably the best thing about ECW. My favorite part, because like we haven't got nearly enough opportunity. After years on this podcast of us taking a giant dump on the big show for all the years of his career where he absolutely unmitigated sucked. This is the one year of his career where he's fucking awesome.
0: Yeah. Um This was, yeah, this is probably the best he ever was. This is, like, the last time it feels like he was both... Now, he gets into better shape after this, but also, yeah, just him as a mean, nasty heel champion taking on the entire world was great and, like, brought legitimacy to ECW. This really felt like
1: what he always should have been all along, right? And he was finally in shape enough probably to do it, which made a big difference. But, like, literally, and maybe partly it was because most of the guys who were wrestling were, like, no-name shitheads. Like, it would be, like, wrestling, like, Balls Mahoney and stuff like that. So, of course, and so he would just, like, casually throw them around like they were garbage. Like, the the new finisher that he creates where he puts them in the Cobra Clutch and chokes them out and then just tosses them across the ring like they're trash is one of the best finishers I've ever seen.
0: Yeah. Uh, so SummerSlam 06 was a pretty weird card. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Cena or Edge beat Cena to retain the title, um, despite the match taking place in Cena's hometown of Boston. Uh, DX beat Vince and Shane McMahon despite interference from like literally every heel on the roster. Yeah. Uh, Booker T retained the World Heavyweight Title by getting himself, himself disqualified against Batista. Uh, of course, him and Batista had been in a real fight uh, filming a commercial for that show earlier in the year. Um, Ric Flair beat Mick Foley in an I Quit match by threatening Molina with a barbed wire baseball bat. Threatening who? Molina, That's Mick Foley's best friend. Yeah, best friends. <laughs> and Hulk Hogan beat Randy Orton in his last WWE match ever.
1: That is one of the weirdest shows that has ever been aired. Yeah, and the big show beats Sabu. And, and let's make this perfectly clear. This show that we're about to talk about is unquestionably a bigger show than the SummerSlam they put on, which makes no sense.
0: Oh, this this, this, and uh, that one we did where they had Cena and Roman at Unforgiven or yeah. whatever. I think, it was by, it may, I think that may have been a backlash, but it was in September. Um, no, it was No Mercy. That's yeah, right. But yeah, there's and it two, had
1: Lesnar-Strowman, too. Yeah,
0: there's like two times this has happened where somehow the September pay-per-view was bigger than SummerSlam. And this was one of them. It's just so fucking weird, isn't it?
1: Like, yeah. it, it's this show. Like, Matt, you could have put this exact show, picked three random SmackDown matches, and it would have been a pretty good SummerSlam. Like, one of the better ones. Why would you Uh, put a hell in a cell on a B pay-per-view and a TLC match? Yeah. Like this is not the only TLC match John Cena ever has, but this might be the most hardcore match John Cena ever wrestled in his entire career. We're going to get into that.
0: So, yeah, this is the fallout from that SummerSlam. Uh, Foley and Flair's issue is over. Foley joined the kiss my ass club to save Molina from being fired And then she, like, kicked him in the balls and turned on him. I never understood what this whole Melina-McFoley thing was about. I don't even really understood what Mick
1: thought it was about. Like, if Mick Foley just wanted to fuck Melina and that was the point, all right, like, okay. I've always, I've often wondered how his wife watching this at home must have felt when he was like, I'm going to have Melina be in every single fucking storyline that I'm a part of, or I'm not even coming to your fucking show. I'm like,
0: okay, buddy. This year feels like a really critical, like, breaking point in Foley and Vince's relationship, where to this point, it seems like Vince had put a lot of trust in Foley's ideas because they had almost always delivered. But this year, where you get like, both this whole weird thing with him and Melina and the Terry Funk thing from One Night Stand. It feels like this is when Vince is just like, loses his faith in Mick. Yeah,
1: if you read the Hardcore Diaries, which is unfortunately a very, very difficult read. Like, it's Mick is in a very bad mental place when he writes this book and during this period. And, like, he basically demands, extorts, blackmails, does everything he can to get this Terry Funk match in the ring, and then it sucks. And I don't think he ever really recovers from that. I don't think his relationship with Vince ever really does. And also, this company just doesn't have a place for someone like Mick Foley in it anymore. Like, he tries to do on commentary. That's a horrible fit. Even though he's pretty good at it, Yeah. he just – Mick Foley has not – liked this company since the attitude era and he's just had it just took him a while to realize it
0: yeah so yeah he has a couple more you know runs after this but yeah he's gonna end up in tna in the next couple years which is its own thing that we've never really gotten to cover unfortunately the number of
1: times that steve's been like hey can we do that lockdown where mick foley wins the title and i'm like no steve god Uh, it's so bad sacrifice match oh the ultimate sacrifice match we before this podcast turns to dust, we're going to cover that. Because I swear to God, it's one of the coolest concepts and worst at the same time for a match I've ever heard.
0: I'm obsessed with the Ultimate Sacrifice match. The sacrifice Like, everything
1: from WCW has been resuscitated for AEW, but that's the one thing I wish
0: they'd take from TNA. <laughs> Just take the one thing. Um, So this is when they're still doing brand-exclusive pay-per-views. So this is a Raw-only show. That's why there's no Batista, no King Booker, no Rey Mysterio, etc. Except the Big Show is on here just because they need somebody to make the McMahons credible. Yeah, Big Show
1: just starts showing up everywhere because they're like, well, he's too fucking good for ECW. Let's just have him wrestle real
0: people. Um, So Cena is going to get one last shot at edge here. Um, The way they worked it is Edge agreed to face Cena as long. I think Cena offered him, you can name the time and you can name the match type. Just give me one more shot. Cena said he would leave Raw if he lost. Edge said, I want a TLC match in Toronto for Unforgiven. So, This is so they'd already put Cena in a situation where they knew he would be booed at one night stand. This is when it feels like they're really starting to embrace the concept, though.
1: And like, while I do feel like when this happened with Roman, they should, of course, correct it earlier. I kind of can see why they talk themselves into being able to come out the other side because that's kind of what happens with Cena uh, eventually. They start to lean into it and they, they develop these crowds that are like half and half but are still passionate either way. So Cena matches are still big. They just allow for that booing to happen too because those people are still buying tickets, whatever.
0: I think the difference, like, with Roman, there were really not a lot of people cheering him. Yeah. Whereas Cena did have really passionate fans. They, like, dependent on, very dependent on the market. But, like, he did have a lot of people who would be cheering him at any given show.
1: The legacy of John Cena is that his music hits an incredibly high-pitched scream of joy happens, and then an incredibly deep-voiced boo comes in right after that. And, like, every time I hear his music, I just hear that in the back of my head. That's unique to him.
0: So they got to do one of their favorite angles, where Cena, or Edge threw Cena's spinner belt into the Long Island sound. Yes. They're just obsessed with throwing belts into bodies of water. I do wonder, like... They don't go back in and get
1: that belt, right? Like they threw it in the sea. Like, but yeah, do you think somebody went know. in and they, got they, I it? I don't, I don't, don't know,
0: know if they pre-tape it and it, maybe like they switch out the maybe they switch it out for a fake belt right before he throws it. Also, one of the best parts of that is that
1: later in the show. Edge himself gets thrown into the Long Island Sound and then almost gets a huge infection because it's disgusting (laughs) in there.
0: (laughs) It's so dirty and his back was all torn up, yeah. He's going to with the FU into the water. And he
1: says it was one of the stupidest things. He's jumped off of, like, 30-foot ladders, but that was the worst spot he ever did in his career.
0: Oh, man. Uh, we've also got the McMahons against the Big Show and DX in a handicap Hell in a Cell match. Uh, that is
1: something else.
0: I So, like, Sean and Vince have been feuding for almost a year at this point. Like, that started at the end of the previous year. They wrestled at WrestleMania, and Sean kicked his ass and killed him. And the feud continued. Vince made Sean team up... Uh, with his tag team partner, God, against Vincent Shane, and uh, yeah, then they brought DX back, and everybody was yep. really excited at first. and then it turned out to be absolutely terrible. It's difficult to put this in context
1: because if you weren't there at the time and you only kind of know now, this is something that we all speak about in like hushed voices because of what a miserable fucking disaster it was. And creatively, it's one of the worst things they've ever done with this company. But at the time, the first time that Shawn Michaels does that crotch chop, he gets like one of the biggest fucking pops. And then yeah. when later that night, Triple H does the crotch chop too, it was like people were like frothing at the mouth to get DX back.
0: Yeah. Oh, I like, was so excited for it. But the, I mean, it just quickly became. It just didn't work. They were too old for it. And Sean is clearly not comfortable with it. Like while His I, heart is not in this.
1: While I do agree with you, I also think that the much bigger problem is that when they looked at it and said, all right, what should DX do? They came up with the ideas for, like, the shittiest fucking pranks. Yeah. Even compared to, like, 99 DX going around literally pulling pranks on people, like, to be dickheads. These were even still goofier and shittier than that. Like,
0: just dumping like, turds yeah. on the ceiling and putting <laughs> chickens on screen. Yeah. Spray-painting I-Heart cock on Vince's limo and, like... And, like... Yeah. And they would do it in such a cheesy way, too. Like,
1: these are clearly, like, a bunch of middle-aged men trying to come up with, like, 20-year-old, like, style pranks. So, like, they do the graffiti on the building, but it would be, like, such so professionally so done. So Yeah. Yeah. Like... It, It wasn't like they were the ones actually doing it. It just sucked so bad. The worst angle in wrestling history is the one where they dress up as Vince and Shane. And then they show the stand back video with Vince dancing in the 80s. Like the 40th time they've shown this shit on WWE TV.
0: It was hilarious the first time. Yeah. And then they
1: just dance around to it for like five fucking minutes. (laughs) It's despicable <laughs> yes. um, it's up there with like the Roman Reigns saying suffer and succotash level of cringe it was
0: just months and months of this like every week they have to be all over the show in tons of segments doing just unwatchable terrible terrible unfunny comedy and what I will say is that
1: this tr- dynamic with Triple H and Shawn Michaels never really stopped until Shawn retires right like off and on they do like this goofy bullshit yeah. humor stuff, but without the pranks, that still works sometimes. Like the yeah. later stuff, where like Sean's in the bakery and he super kicks the little girl, that shit's <laughs> funny. Yeah, or <laughs> well, he just the, goes
0: in the hallway and super kicks everybody in it. The Christmas, the Christmas toy commercials yeah. where, like Sean has lost his mind because he's been trying to put the toys together and all the kids want to do is play with the box. The truth is, is that late Sean Michaels is actually very
1: fucking funny. Yes. But they're they're trying to use it so up so much here that they're losing the actual humor that it could have. And also, this is supposed to be a blood feud, and it's literally being played for laughs the whole time. So by the time we arrive at this, which is supposed to be like uh, somebody's gonna die tonight to end this feud finally kind of match, it's just not. Like there's no heat on this at all.
0: Um, and then after all this we still haven't gotten to what was the biggest story in wrestling at this time uh which is that WWE had just released kurt angle um he had been going downhill kind of all year at this point like he hurt his neck early in the year um took painkillers for like he literally like broke his neck for however many times he had done it. And then rather than just take time off, rather than give him time off, he just started taking painkillers and got addicted to them and started like horribly abusing them. Um, if you want to hear about this, he did an episode of his podcast about it, like literally just last weekend. It was there's was some really, I I had not heard all of this story before. Maybe he had told it other places and I just hadn't seen it, but there was some new stuff I didn't know about in here, but you know, the end of it came to, he uh, tore his hamstring and they were trying to get him to keep wrestling. And he just, like he told like he was booked in like a three-way ladder match against RVD and Sabu on ECW. And he was like, no, I can't do a ladder match. Like, He walked into the writer's room as Vince was having a meeting and literally, like, dropped his pants and showed Vince, like, that his hamstring had literally turned black. It was bruised and torn so badly. So they tell Kurt, like, okay, let's have a meeting. Come up, like, to headquarters and let's talk. When Kurt gets there, Vince has just, like, pages and pages of texts and transcribed voicemails from Kurt that are just like insane. They're Kurt being like, Vince, you better call me back or I'm gonna kick your ass. Like, Vince, I'm gonna fucking kill you next time I see you. Oh. Kurt says he has no memory of like ever sending these, but it was like he was you he was getting so high on painkillers the other night no- every night he was blacking out. Like Kurt's description of this is like literally a movie where like we've been seeing things. From one character's perspective and at the end of the movie like we go back and see like what's actually been happening the whole time like this is where he realizes like he's completely lost control of himself. And to WWE's credit
1: because genuinely to some extent it is because they could have just kept riding that horse until it broke and died like that's a lot of what's actually going on at this time this is in the middle of the time. Where like they won't let Shawn Michaels take a break, even though he asks every single year because they need him. They won't let Taker yeah. take a break. They they ride Chris Benoit into the grave. They ride Guerrero into the grave. Like, as much as you want to say maybe those individually have other factors going on, a big part of it is just that they like they only have a couple horses and they are riding them until they die. <laughs> and to their credit, their response to this is Kurt you're never going to get help while you're employed by us. You have to go.
0: Yeah. Kurt says he asked them uh, to let him go. And they did. I mean, he said he told them, I think he's like, he said, he broke down in tears and was like, if I stay here, I'm going to kill myself. And he didn't mean like he was going to commit suicide. He meant like he was just going to keep trying to wrestle hurt until he overdid it on the painkillers and he overdosed or, he, you know, was gonna be driving while he was high on painkillers and go off the road. but like he just, yeah, needed to get out of there. Now, if I was them, I don't know that I would have released him. I would have just been like, okay, we're gonna send you to rehab and like you are gonna stay home at least until the beginning of next year. Like we're not even gonna think about bringing you back for months. Like go home, get clean, get healthy, We'll keep paying you. But yeah, they let him go. And I mean, the word we got at the time, this was, I think the phrase was like Death Watch. Like, they literally, I mean, they were afraid he was going to die, and probably rightfully so. Oh, absolutely. It must be said that the reason that we know so much about his
1: story is that he does, he winds up going to TNA and kind of getting his shit together, which is great. But sort of. And then we've heard um, this story together. together. You know, we've heard this story many other times as a eulogy for guys who never get better and then they just disappear and die, right?
0: So yeah, they released him like early September. Here's the thing: uh, he, they, TNA announces that he signed one week after this pay-per-view at No Surrender. Yep. This is like why Vince was so pissed at him and like literally wouldn't even speak to him for like 10 years after this. He's like. Kurt does the i've got to go like i can't be here i can't wrestle anymore and then literally signs with their competition like a week later now tna gave him a much lighter schedule yes but also when somebody's like i need to get out of here or i'm gonna die you don't expect them to show up on the other guy's tv a week later well
1: th- there was also a precedent for this and this doesn't get talked about a lot because this was during the time when not a lot of people were watching tna but jeff hardy did the the exact same yeah. fucking thing. They release him because he's a drug addict and he says he's going to go get help. He leaves. He immediately shows up on TNA television. And then when he comes back to WWE briefly before this, actually, they literally are like, all right, you go to the fucking bottom of the car yeah. and you work your way back up one match at a time, which is exactly what he does. It takes him like three
0: years. But it's, I don't think I, I was realizing when I was thinking about, you know, the show I don't feel like I've put enough weight over the years of like what a big what if it is if Kurt like stays with WWE like this was one of their like one of their biggest stars and like their best talent at the time. Like, for sure, there is not a, be- I mean, a better worker, a better character, a guy who can play face or heel, who can be serious, who can be intense, who can be funny, who can do absolutely anything like the perfect utility player. And they just didn't have like, how different is this company if he's around for the next 10 years in WWE? I mean, it's an excellent question. It also I don't is know that he question. physically could have done that. Like he could not. I don't. He could not have kept doing a WWE schedule for much longer. His body couldn't take it. Well, that's the thing.
1: Is like he could have been like one of the first to be like, look, reduce. Give me a reduced schedule, and I can continue being a huge player for you for years. Yeah. Like, yeah, like eventually Sean's going to get that and Taker's going to get that. So why not
0: Kurt? You know, yeah, he should not have been doing house shows. He should not like You can just this is where it's just like, man, this WWE mind like it's a different time then because the TV rights haven't exploded yet. But today, when I look at the fact that they're still doing a full house show schedule, I have no idea what in the hell they're thinking.
1: And like I understand if you want to do house shows and you just want to send out like the younger guys and stuff like that. Yeah. What the fuck is, like, Roman Reigns doing wrestling on house shows, man? Yeah, and, like, like
0: what, they're running what C mar- and they're running sea markets, too, is the other thing. Like, I can understand if you want to make house shows a big event and do, like, a few of them each month in really big markets, there could be some logic to that. But when they're running, like, tiny little towns where they're going to draw, like, 2,000 people, I have no idea what they're thinking.
1: And, of course, it's not that the matches themselves are, like, like barn burners or like knockdown dragouts or they're going 60 minutes but the point is that's just another day of travel another yeah. bit of weariness on, on their bodies another dozen bumps or so they got to take like why why are you doing that like when you think about where they are like in 2004 like they have the greatest team of workhorses who ever worked for any promotion you had like Jericho and Guerrero and Benoit <laughs> and Angle and Michaels and by the time we get to like 07 they're all gone. And, like, again, for various reasons, but each one of them has said at various points they were just burnt the fuck out physically and mentally. Most of them were on drugs of some sort. It's bad. Like,
0: they drove them into the grave. Yeah, well, and, of course, looming over everything in this company is the fact that Eddie, Eddie Guerrero dropped dead a year before this. And what happens? Uh, not too long after this,
1: somebody long joins long. him.
0: Yeah, no, it's a dark couple of years for this company. I, it becomes clear something needs to change. Like they could not have continued on the course they were on without drug testing, without concussion testing. I, I wish their reaction had been to be like, OK, we need to like dial back the amount of house shows we do and just accept that we're not going to make quite as much money. Although, I don't know, I question how profitable a lot of their house shows were even at this point. Agreed.
1: There was a sentiment at they have this
0: I feel like their thing is if we don't run the house shows, we won't get people to watch on TV. Like part of the reason people watch on TV is because they've been able to come see it in their hometown.
1: And look, I I can only speak anecdotally because I don't know what kind of research they're looking at to back that up. But it doesn't seem true, does it? Like Raw Uh is been a fixture for so long that you don't just go see it because, hey, you saw Batista at your local market. Like, it, you watch it because you watch it.
0: Yeah, you're engaged by the stories and the personalities. It's a TV show.
1: Like, yeah. that you can go watch a live show is cool. And, like, you take your family and go and do that. But that's not that's not reinforcing the TV show. That's just making a little extra money off the side of it. It just doesn't make sense. Like, it never has to, to me at all.
0: Um, okay, so to get into the show... It's uh, Sunday, September 17th, 2006. We're at the Air Canada Center in Toronto, Canada. The place is sold out, over 16,000 in attendance. Uh, the show does 289,000 buys, which is actually up a decent amount from 243,000 the previous year when Cena versus Angle was the main event. I guess I'm not shocked this outdrew that. Like th- There was still some legitimacy to the Hell in a Cell at this point.
1: Yeah, not – I think JR says on this show that this was like the 13th Hell in a Cell match, which means it's getting a little watered down now, but at least it's definitely something. And that show sucked if you want to go back and take a look at it. Like there's – this is a much, much, much bigger show than that was.
0: On commentary, of course, we've got the team of Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler who were about what I would have expected them to be here.
1: My favorite part of the commentary in this entire show is during the Hell in a Cell match, Lawler is trying so hard to be like his suck up to the McMahon's thing. So he keeps being like, there's got to be some kind of, of rules in this match. Why can't they do that? I don't understand. And Jerry being like, we've called all 13 of these Lawler. <laughs> you know, there's no damn rules.
0: In the dark match, super crazy defeated Shelton Benjamin in seven minutes. That actually sounds kind of fun.
1: I fucking wish that had been on this show, man. Yeah, Super Crazy had a really good run here in WWE. It is very funny to me that, like, every once in a while, Vince, like, somebody will talk Vince into an idea. And Hooventude, Psychosis, and Super Crazy were clearly something someone else talked him into because he did not know who those three people were. And, like, they'll bring in, like, some indie guys or something, and Vince will fall in love with the most random person. And, like, I don't know why. It it happened with Sandman. It happened with Balls Mahoney. Like, Vince is just like, hey, I really like that weirdo.
0: Crazy could work, and he had a lot of personality. Crazy got over.
1: Like, I I really wish that there had been more for him to do. Because, like, he was great. He's so relatively young here, too, because he started super young. Yeah
0: opening promo highlights the dx versus mcmahon's and edge versus cena issues always love the unforgiven promos they get to be god have mercy on their souls they're yeah, it's all the melodram- unforgiven the most
1: melodramatic shit
0: unfortunately no freddie blassie this time
1: yeah that was it would be a little bit long in the tooth at this point It always kind of felt to me like anytime Unforgiven wasn't main evented by some Kane versus Undertaker shit, that the production people were disappointed. Like, man, we got to try to do some spooky shit with John Cena again. Something spooky about John Cena.
0: The package for the original Unforgiven is really great. The the Freddie Blast narration where he's like, God have mercy on their souls.
1: That kicked ass.
0: Yeah. Um, opening match for the IC title we've got Johnny Nitro defending against Jeff Hardy Jeff gets a gigantic pop um part of it is just like this Toronto crowd was super hot all night but also like Jeff can't I mean people were ready for Jeff to come back everybody was fired up and he's just come back right did he show up right before this?
1: I think it was uh, like a couple months before this, but it wasn't very far was when before. I at think
0: all. Edge was champion, and yeah, like Jeff just showed up and he was like, "Jeff Hardy, didn't you die five years ago?" The funniest
1: part is that like I think on this show during the match, Jim Ross says something like, "Jeff Hardy's mysterious disappearance from yes. WWE, nobody knows where he's been since."
0: What <laughs> a feel knock like that on was TNA. A shot at TNA. Yeah. yeah.
1: But like – and literally what they do is they send Jeff Hardy down to the midcard and they're like, you're going to fucking stay down here until you prove you have your head on right. And he does. This is this is probably the two-year stretch that is by far the best of Jeff Hardy's career.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: He is yeah. so determined to like – to kind of shed that label of being like a no-good drug addict lazy piece of shit that he's bringing it to every single fucking match 100%. Yeah.
0: And that version of – Jeff Hardy is one of the coolest people in the history of wrestling. Two years after this, he gets that run with Triple H where he finally wins the belt. And yeah, just magical stuff. And
1: that's what really works here is that he starts
0: from the bottom and
1: yeah. he like wins a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And he gets that match with like Orton that he doesn't quite win. And he just can't quite win the big one for like a year and a half until he finally yeah. does.
0: It's an oh, incredible yeah. story. He loses to Triple H so many times before he finally beats him. Like, they really so milked that Every time. It was like, I think one of the finishes was, like, he literally hit the swanton, and Triple H just kind of bridged him into a pin, like, right from there.
1: And, like, that was one of the things that kind of, like, that Triple H was, like, a tweener during that point. Yeah. But even Triple H is like, I hope you beat me someday, kid, but you're just not good
0: enough yet. Yeah. So this turned out to be a much better match than I was expecting. Holy Um, shit, is this a good match? It's a very different match. I mean, you see Jeff Hardy, Johnny Nitro opening match, you think... 10-minute car crash instead this is a very like methodical like psychologically sound match where nitro is just working on jeff's knee and working the knee and slowing jeff down i mean this is just kind of feel like this is that era of wwe where they've really instilled in everybody like we are going back to fundamentals we are going back to psychology like pick a body part and work it like definitely feels like The, like, Michael Hayes, like, Dusty Rhodes, like, old-timer influence has really taken hold here.
1: And this was, like, the last era of, like, really good intercontinental wrestling until, like, The Miz takes it It over, like, a decade later. Um, This is – I think Nitro was always super underrated because people just saw him as, like, a flips guy. And, like, it it wasn't really a surprise when he got super over later on because he just had so much to his game. He's still extremely new to the business. He was in Tough Enough like three years before this. For him yeah. to be this good here is fucking ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Um, after Nitro's worked the knee for a while, he goes for a corkscrew moonsault, but Hardy gets out of the way. Uh, they fight on the top rope. Nitro goes for a hurricane rana, but Hardy blocks it. Hardy hits the Swanton Bomb, but Nitro gets his foot on the ropes. Um, JR says something... Like, um, even a Pac-10 referee could see that. I had to look up what this was referencing. Oklahoma had lost to Oregon the previous day on a blown call. Yeah. I see. (laughs)
1: Had
0: to look this one up.
1: Um, Not that that would have even been super relevant at the time, as neither one was like the super powerhouse in 2006.
0: Anyone other than Jim Ross, no. (laughs) Um, Nitro gets control back. He continues to work on Hardy's leg. They're dueling. Let's go, Hardy. Let's go, Nitro chance. Um, Nitro comes off the top for a Hurricane Rana, but Hardy counters with a Power Bomb. Melina, who got knocked off the apron earlier, like takes her boot off, hits Hardy with it. And Nitro gets the pin in 17 minutes, much longer than I was expecting, but very good opener.
1: Yeah, this one was dynamite. I was kind of half paying attention to it because I kind of half pay attention to most opening matches at WWE shows from this time. And like this got my total attention. Like I can't overstate we've watched Jeff Hardy do mostly the same moveset since 2000. Right. He's still doing it. But, like, he was never crisper. He was never, like, more into it. He was never more focused, taking better bumps. Like, this is the best of Jeff Hardy. And the best of Jeff Hardy is one of the best wrestlers we've ever seen. And so for him and Johnny Nitro to, like, go off like this, this wasn't the only time either. I feel like every pay-per-view for, like, a year and a half straight, it was either these two or Mixon, Carlito, or Shelton Benjamin, or somebody else. And they were just tearing the place down every night. And then when he gets with Umaga... Those Jeff Hardy Umaga matches are special, man. Uh,
0: We see that Theodore Long is sitting in a skybox watching the event. He's there to see John Cena, who may be coming to SmackDown um, in the event that he doesn't win the match against Edge tonight. This was a nice touch. Like, I was yes. impressed they did. that. Like, it was smart that they brought Teddy to the pay-per-view because it made it feel more credible that Cena was going to lose and have to go to SmackDown.
1: And we didn't really talk about this much yet, but, like, them going on to CW is a big fucking deal. Like, they're back yeah. on network TV. This is big. Um, It's – you would think that they would – these days they definitely would have made a move like putting Cena on CW just so, like – he'd be in front of more people or some shit like that. I don't know. But, like, I really feel like this is one of those rare moments where they really fucking got it. Like, to see Teddy up in the skybox, like, rubbing his hands together, like, well, I can't wait till I get
0: John Cena. Yeah. It doesn't feel – they didn't really move anybody to SmackDown here, but part of the problem was they had – when they created ECW, they were really spreading themselves thin. So – they didn't really. It was hard to move anybody off RAW because they didn't have that extra talent. At I mean, they moved Angle to SmackDown at the beginning of the year when Batista got hurt, but then they put Kurt on ECW, so SmackDown lost him. I had kind of thought in my head, and I think what would have been a better idea is
1: this match probably should have just been a loser goes to SmackDown match because moving Edge to SmackDown, yeah. SmackDown could have worked. Because while he does rated RKO after that, after this, and that's pretty good, I don't think that they've already planned on doing that yet. I think they just kind of move him into that later on. And like Kim as a foil for Batista would have been very good, which yeah. we see later. It is.
0: Um, backstage, Matt Hardy comforts Jeff, and then Lita comes in and talks shit to both of them, uh, including about the fact that like. Edge is going to send John Cena to SmackDown just like he sent you to SmackDown that last year. That was the best fucking line. Savage. God, Lita was such a great heel.
1: I don't... I know that people don't remember this. And because people were so lost in their real-life hatred of yeah. Lita. But, like, she is for, like, a full year here. Like, I feel like the only person who's ever been on that level of hateability is, like, Stephanie McMahon. Like, she gets to this level yeah. where she will say any <laughs> heinous shit to anybody
0: i love matt is definitely on smackdown at this point i love that i love they brought him here just to get buried will you
1: come down just so you can be in a 30 second segment with your brother will lead a fucking buries you i know you're probably not on good terms with her yet but yeah oh it's so good she's so fucking great yeah like who would have thought that like this one note baby face who like had amazing amounts of trouble conveying any sort of emotion in any interview would wind up being like one of the best heels of this era.
0: Uh, next up, we've got Umaga versus Kane in a Hoss match. Um, this issue started at SummerSlam. Uh, the McMahons recruited Umaga to help them in their match against DX. It was Like, they got, like, half the heels on the roster to interfere in that one. Um, DX tricked Kane into interfering on their behalf by telling him that, like, Vince had been talking shit about him behind his back, saying he wasn't a real monster anymore and Umaga was way better. So, Kane showed up and attacked Umaga and ran him off. DX should have been a lot more stuff like that.
1: Like, shenanigans, not so much goofy prank shit. But... Yeah, so that leads the way to... I feel like this whole era for Kane is just Kane versus other big guy in unwatchable match. Yeah.
0: Um, Armando Alejandro Estrada does a pretty good pre-match promo hyping up Umaga. This guy just had bucket loads of charisma. I don't know how... Like, we never really got the opportunity to talk about Armando Estrada before. I
1: think we talked about him in passing when we did the WrestleMania, where he was just kind of there. Um. This guy was unbelievable, so much so that he like he outshined Umaga so much yeah. and almost turned the whole act babyface because he got so over. I still vividly remember every fucking line of his introduction. My wife, who at the time was a new fan, all these years later, we both remembered every single yeah. line of his intro. That's special, man. Told
0: us like, es- scucin-me. Everybody listen to <laughs> me.
1: Ha-ha. Yeah. I just, I. He was
0: even a pretty good wrestler.
1: Yeah. Like, he has that feud with Colin Delaney later yes. on, which is super underrated. Turned out he's ripped to shreds. See, that's what I always wanted. It's like one day there's a tag match and he's, they think they're going to, like, job him out and he just rips off the suit and he's just shredded. I, uh, I, he was super underutilized. They, he's one of those guys who gets punished for getting over.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's the the, uh, the ultimate sin as a manager in WWE is to get more over than your talent. And, like,
1: which is a bummer because yeah. I, I realize that it's not super easy to find places to use people like that. It's not like he can just work on commentary. They tried him there. He didn't work. They, he tried him as a GM later on. That doesn't fucking work. Like, he's not a great fit for anything else. But that's fine. Like, you can't turn him face fine have Umaga turn on Estrada and make him a babyface manager because his
0: act is something people want to see. Don't just
1: throw that in the garbage.
0: Uh, Like you said, not a great match here. Lots of punching. I mean, they're both pretty athletic, so they both do some decent spots for big men, but ends up being a double count out, which I don't understand what you're doing protecting Kane at this point. Like, just let Umaga beat him.
1: It's funny that, like, a solid 15 years later, Kane still really isn't doing clean jobs for people. And wow. it's like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. He's been a jobber without the jobs for like 20 goddamn years before he finally retires.
0: They do a recap of Vince hitting Triple H with a sledgehammer on Raw, and then we go to Vince and Shane talking backstage. Vince says he'll never forgive DX for what they've done. And Vince says... He's not like Canada. He won't rely on his allies to do his fighting for him tonight. Yep. (laughs) Um, They plug uh, the theme song tonight, which is Run by Day of Fire. That's one of my favorite things about watching these old WWE shows is being like, man...
1: I've never fucking heard of that band ever in my life. And then going back and listening, being like, oh, yeah, that was some butt rock from the thousands. How yeah. about that?
0: Like, I have a and Jerry Lawler, like, have to, like, plug these bands that you know they've never heard of. Like, nobody's heard of these bands. Lawler,
1: every single time, has to say contractually, yes, my favorite game, my favorite band in the world is Stone Sour. And Rain like, of Fire, so Shine Down, whoever. yeah. Yes, I listen to it all the time. Yeah, I'm sure you do at the farm in Memphis, Jay. That's all all you listen to is Shine Down.
0: Next up for the tag titles, we've got the Spirit Squad defending against the Highlanders. Uh, Tough times for the tag division here in 2006. I kind of dug the Highlanders, but they never got over. They never really got over, though... Right in the middle of
1: them trying to get over, unfortunately, Robbie goes to a TNA yes. show. They put him on screen with his wrestling name underneath, yes. and he gets fired for it.
0: Yeah, like, he said he literally got a phone call, like, five minutes after it happened. Somebody, The funny thing is, yeah, somebody was watching TNA and saw him and stooged on him immediately. Which, that's also some hilarious shit, is like, what did he do wrong?
1: That both... Fucking brands were in the same area. He just went to a wrestling show. Yeah. But yeah, because TNA was just like, Oh hey, a wrestler in the audience, let's put him on television. And let's you can see him him. He, yeah. you can see him in his seat on the broadcast when you realize the camera's on him, he tries to sink down into his jacket. <laughs> I Yeah, I do feel bad
0: for him. What a fucking but, monster Dixie Carter is to let that happen. He later, I think, said, like, he was basically – he just didn't care if he got fired at this point. I don't know if he was trying to get fired, but, like, he just didn't care. Like, he yeah, wanted to get out of
1: WWE. WWE. Soon after this, yeah. um, The Spirit Squad, I don't think people – like, we always mention them as like, oh, oh, what a fucking joke the Spirit Squad was. LOL. Not enough is made of the fact that this is four of the best talents that they have in development. Like, I want you to imagine, this is the exact same idea as the shield, except they bring them up as male cheerleaders instead of awesome ass kickers. That's the whole premise here, is let's call up literally the best people we have in development. The only person they did not call up who was ready for a call-up at this point, do you know who it is? Yeah. They, they It was suggested that he could have been a member of this, but they replaced him with Mitch. And that is Mr. Cody Rhodes. Cody. Oh he was tagging partners with Johnny.
0: That would have been such, like, everything continuing to be a rib on the roads. I'm amazed they didn't do it, honestly. Yeah. and, and the some, Give him a polka dot cheerleader uniform. And the Spirit Squad is such a
1: Vince thing. Like, what... Vince thinking about, like, man, who were the shit... Like... Who's the most hateable person in high school? Who who can you just not take seriously? Yeah. Male cheerleaders.
0: Yeah. and I feel like I've said this before, but they were neither good enough nor bad enough at the cheerleading for it to work. That's the thing. Is there a bunch of young
1: athletic guys? They just kind of look like the male cheerleaders you see on ESPN. Like, they're not offensive in any way.
0: Like, it's just... Yeah. They couldn't do the cheers well, but it also didn't feel like they were supposed to be bad. It was kind of just in the middle. What they were trying to portray was like sort of a frat boy version of the
1: Mean Street Posse, yeah. which may have gotten over a lot more because that's what they actually were. just a bunch of young 20-something dickheads. The male cheerleader aspect just like threw the whole thing to the side.
0: Yeah. So, of course – Included in this is Nikki nicknameth aka Dolph Ziggler.
1: He's the only person who retains a career.
0: <laughs> yeah, somehow survived this. I mean, Kenny Kenny Dykstra, Ken Down was somebody they clearly saw the world in, and it didn't work out.
1: He was like their new Randy Orton. Like yeah. he was like the guy post like Cena, Orton, Lesnar, all of them. He was like the biggest prospect they had developed in ten years. Yeah.
0: Ric Flair put him over. Yeah. Like they thought. Repeatedly. They gave him the name
1: Kenny Dykstra. Why? Lenny Dykstra
0: is a famous baseball player.
1: That's that had to have been another Vince thing. Just like, "Yeah, yeah, he's like Lenny Dykstra. Everyone knows that reference. Fuck me. I, they, they ruined his career. He goes from, like, no doubt will one day main event a WrestleMania to no doubt is getting jobbed on heat and also John Cena steals his girlfriend.
0: Yeah. Oh, This is a pretty standard tag match. The Spirit Squad get the win after Johnny, who is not in the match, hits a kick and Kenny follows up with a face buster. It's just kind of a standard tag match. It's the Johnny go round. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. right. And here in the middle of the show, we've got our Hell in a Cell match with DX against the McMahons and the Big Show. Um, this is the first time they used the expanded cell, the one they, they still use this. I mean, they've probably, they've changed since then, because it's, it's red now for some reason, which I hate it having color. Um, Agreed. But um, is it blue when it's a SmackDown pay-per-view? Do they do that for a while? I think i remember
1: it being blue i don't know when exactly yeah. that was but i i i hate this design of hell in a cell where they just added 10 feet onto it randomly that's not functional in any way it just it looks weird it, like yeah i like the it,
0: claustrophobia of the old yes, one but it, it doesn't the problem was like it, it was you, hard for guys, guys couldn't do top rope moves in the old one it was a real struggle I mean, I get that.
1: I feel, and I feel like they added even more onto it just so they could say it's like thirty feet fucking tall, which is fine, whatever. But like, it just looks like less interesting. Like, it doesn't look less imposing. It just looks less interesting when you're in it. Like the fo- the first shot that they do from outside, it looks incredible. But once you're in it, it just kind of looks like a normal match until they go to the outside, because there's the ring, the the cell itself is so big, it's not even on camera half the time. <laughs>
0: Um, DX makes their entrance They face off with Big Show And then they both kick him in the balls I love that start to the match
1: Yeah, the McMahons are just standing behind Big Show He's like, I got this And then they just give him the big old double kick to the balls And then immediately beat up both McMahons And then come back and kick him in the balls again
0: Um, There's a super loud You screwed Brett chant at the start of the match The the announcer sheepishly refused to acknowledge it this is the point where I have to point out
1: that, like, despite the fact that the McMahons and Big Show are obviously gigantic heels in this match, mm, they
0: yeah. DX are the heels in this match, right? Yeah, yeah. I, you get some sympathy for Vince and Shane, the way they're just getting their asses kicked here, they're both super juice. Like, yeah. tons of blood from both of them. The crowd hates Shawn
1: Michaels here. Yes. Like, they they like Triple H just fine. But we're in Canada, right? The crowd is ambivalent towards Triple H and the Big Show and Shane. And, well, the crowd's ambivalent towards Big Show and Vince. The crowd loves Shane, which is the problem whenever you put Shane on TV. is everything he does looks cool, so everyone yeah. starts cheering for
0: it. Especially this year, where like I, he when he was wearing his pinstripe suits and just yes. looked like a Mafia Don's son. Like,
1: you on to something with this Shane, honestly. Yeah. The Shane who was like had to like back up Vince, even though he knew everything he was doing was a horrible idea.
0: <laughs> when Vince is like yelling at God to smite him in the church, and Shane just kind of, you know, kind of just like. Quietly steps a couple steps away and Vince literally screams Smite me down now
1: god And Vince just like mm, mm, That is up. a top five funniest Moment in WWE history
0: Um, Big Show recovers and catches Sean out of the air as he's going for an elbow Drop and then it's just kind of like <laughs> Big Show looks like such a Badass here because he can take He just takes Triple H and Sean at the same time Like yeah. he just beats them both down Vince and
1: Shane are basically a non-factor in this match. They just take punishment. Big Show literally fights DX to a standstill by himself.
0: Yeah. Shane hits the Van Terminator. Um, Sean and Triple H both blade, so we've got quadruple juice. I didn't catch if Big Show bladed here. I don't think I don't, he did. Wouldn't this, subject this, him, Wouldn't subject him to any further indignity. This
1: is where I kind of started to think about this. You know how Vince always does like the morality police on every new promotion being like, oh, they blade. Yeah. We don't do that. Ha ha ha. Has Vince McMahon ever had a match where he didn't blade in his entire There's life? Not many of them. I can't think of any match he's ever had where he didn't do a blade job.
0: Yeah. What a fucking weirdo. Big Show hits a Vader bomb on Sean. Oh, he's a Vader bomb. <laughs> this show kicks ass, man. Yeah uh triple h comes in to make a comeback but big show shuts it down uh vince drops his britches to make sean kiss his ass but triple h breaks that up
1: it was funny like the camera obviously wasn't supposed to be on this angle but triple h punches vince in the face and he falls down and then you watch vince like feverishly buckling his pants back up on the ground
0: uh Vince holds Sean for a splash from Big show but Sean manages to pull Vince into the line of fire DX fires up Sean hits an atomic drop uh triple H hits a spine buster on Shane um they wrap a chair around Shane's neck and Sean hits an elbow drop on him they just they
1: toast Shane for like a minute straight with like yeah. 20 moves.
0: <laughs> Show uh, comes back in, he takes out DX, Triple H hits him with a chair, and then, like, puts his head in the steps and hits the steps with the chair, which, I love that spot, because it's completely safe, but it looks incredible, it makes this huge noise.
1: And it's one of those things that, like, if you're not in the first couple rows of seats, you don't see how fake it looks, like it yeah. does on TV. All you hear is the sound, and so everybody pops for it.
0: Um... Sweet chin music on Big Show. That knocks him down and he's like bent over the ropes. DX pull his trunks down and shove Vince's face into his giant ass. Now, let's talk about this, ladies and gentlemen. I laughed so hard at this. The moment
1: where they just grab his tights and in one smooth motion yank it down. Just enough to expose the crack, but not enough to expose his balls. I don't know if they practiced that to make sure that it was close too
0: much. They must have. I bet they did that ten times backstage. I love the idea of show leaned over table being like, Nope, I can okay. feel the draft on
1: my balls too far. <laughs> nope, they can see my taint. <laughs>
0: We need to like, see that
1: again. Imagine your big show, and, like, you've worked so hard to make yourself into a credible monster again. They call you up for this big feud, and you're like, fuck yeah, I'm back in business. I'm in the main events again. This is great. And then Vince is just like, they're going to shove my head right up your ass. It's such good shit. Don't eat any burritos that day. <laughs> God. Because here's the thing, like, I'm not saying Big Show's <laughs> gross or whatever, but <laughs> most of the Kiss My Ass Club stuff is right on the cheek, and yeah. it's not, even when Vince got his face shoved into Rikishi's ass, Rikishi mm. hadn't wrestled for 20 minutes right beforehand. <laughs> no,
0: and Rikishi had underwear on. Yeah, this, there's no
1: underwear, Big Show's <laughs> been wrestling for 20 minutes in a singlet. Like, <laughs> you're going into
0: the s- swamp, brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, according to New Jack Terry Runnels, would have loved that. Jesus Christ, Steve. Jesus Christ. (laughs) May he rest in peace. Jesus Christ. Oh. Sweet chin music on Vince. Then a sledgehammer shot, that breaks the hammer, and Triple H gets the pin. Might as well have blown his head off with a 12-gauge.
1: Literally, this should have been the end of the Mr. McMahon character.
0: Yes, he never should have appeared again after this. They should have come—Shane
1: should have come out the next week and been like, well, my father has been put into a coma, so I'm taking
0: over. God, yeah, like— what a def like what an insane match like it was fun but just crazy like all this blood all these crazy spots and like the most definitive victory imaginable for DX
1: and part of the problem with this match and why it isn't remembered better because it's not like a horrible match or anything is that there's no heat like at no point in this match is the crowd like really into it and part of that is because the heel side is not a threat to DX. It doesn't matter how, we literally just watched them beat five guys like a couple pay-per-views ago. And like, there's nobody that you're going to put up against them. They're like a two-man shield. It doesn't matter. And we've already seen Sean murder Vince and Shane by himself. We've been watching them ruthlessly job out the McMahons for months now. Like, there's nothing here. So while it's fun to watch these things happen, they don't matter. Like it, It was never in doubt. So it's it's nice to have the feud blown off so it can mercifully be dead, but it's not so much euphoric as it is a relief.
0: Next up, for the Women's Championship, we've got Lita defending against Trish Stratus. Um, tough spot for them to be put in after that insane match. Uh, this is Trish's retirement match they've announced in advance. She's going to try to go out as a champion here, and she does. I mean... She doesn't work another match after this for, like, five years, I think. Aside from,
1: like, a couple of, like, sort of exhibition-style or, like, at WrestleMania stuff, she stays retired.
0: Like yeah, she's, she does a small number of matches after this. Let's
1: see. What year... So, this is 06, right? The
0: Jersey Shore thing was 2011.
1: That was WrestleMania 27. So, this is 06. So, she's 31 here, okay? Yeah. So... There's such a thing in Joshi called the 30 year curse. Okay. Yeah. And what it is is that for to a large extent, around the age of 30, a lot of women start looking to have children. Yeah. That just is a thing that happens. And it's not it's a very difficult thing to have a kid and then just go right back onto the road. So a lot of women like retire. In Joshi, like the thirty your 30-year like wall is like where you get a big retirement ceremony. You go off for five years, then you bulk up and come back as a heel because you're huge now. Like, that's just what happens. Like, they come back later on. And that's why Joshi wrestlers wrestle until they're, like, 50 because they get that whole break in there. And that's what happens to Trish. She also doesn't have anything left to do. No. Like, we need to put Trish's career kind of in context a little bit here because Trish Stratus is the most important women's wrestler in America ever. And she just is. And what really happened was she was never supposed to be. She was just eye candy. That's why all the women were hired when they were. She was a fitness model. They brought her in. She desperately wanted to be a wrestler. Like she would beg people to show her how to do stuff in the ring before shows started. And like people would just be like, as a joke, be like, yeah, sure, fuck it. I'll show you how to do a suplex. Ha, 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 ha. And then eventually, like, she starts to get a little bit better. And I think it's, like, Fit Finley and Al Snow and Lance Storm and them, like, took up, like, a real interest in helping her along the way. And then Vince just agrees to put her on because she's so over, because she's so hot. And I'm not saying that just to say it. She They literally would do, like, Babe of the Year internet voting competitions oh, yeah. at the I mean, time. And she won, like, five years in a row.
0: Literally one of the most beautiful women in the world at the time. Yeah. Like, there's no question about that. So Vince would just
1: kind of, like, indulge her and be like, yeah, yeah, sure, you can have some matches. Yeah, go on out there, like, get the crowd some TNA, blah, 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 blah. And she was so fucking determined to make it something credible and not just, like, what, like, the Tori Wilsons and Stacey Keeblers of the world were doing in their matches. And over time, she got genuinely good. And over time, she became, like, an actual character on the show. And she's really the only one that did. Her and Lita were the only ones who ever rose above just like just kind of being there. And when she decided to retire, look at the women's roster of this era. Like nobody had come along yet. Like Mickey James had just come along and was there. But aside from her, the new generation of women doesn't come for another 14 years or whatever. <laughs> like she had done it all. And thank God that she did, because the vast majority of those women, from Sasha Banks to Charlotte Flair to everybody, credit yeah. her with being the reason they got into it. Shimmer exists because of the sheer number of women who watched Trish Stratus and wanted to get into the business and had nowhere to learn and develop. So a whole promotion is founded for that exact purpose. Like yeah. Trish builds the women's revolution w- on her
0: without back. Without Trish Stratus, it's entirely possible that like American women's wrestling just stays dead.
1: Yeah, or at least just becomes, like, a couple of shitty exhibition matches here and there for, like, TNA value, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because everything that wasn't done by her stayed that way. Like, where where Trish wasn't involved, it was still just tits and ass. She brought a different level to it, and fuck me, man, we owe her a debt of gratitude— Whenever she comes out and everybody cheers, I still feel like the fan base may not totally understand how important she is. Yeah. She's to thank for everything. It's amazing.
0: Uh, she, of course, gets a huge pop in her hometown here. Um, she starts fast with a head scissor off the steps. Lita gets control, but she misses a moonsault. Um Lita keeps the advantage, beats on Trish for a while. Trish catches Lita with a neck breaker, and then she does that handstand, Hurricane Rana, that always looks so awesome off the top Love rope. It. Love that thing. Uh, Trish with a chick kick for a close two count. She goes for Stratisfaction. Lita blocks it. Trish rolls through, locks on the sharpshooter, and Lita gives up. A pretty good match, but an amazing moment for Trish to get the win in her hometown in her final match. And with the sharpshooter, that was even cooler. And she knew just how to work it, where they almost get to the ropes, and then you pull them back and you really cinch it in as the crowd goes wild. Like, I
1: think, I don't think it's weird to say that I think that she gets by far the biggest pop of anybody on this show. And the crowd is, the crowd really feels like it's here specifically for her. Like... For the entirety of the show, like you almost like the signs in the crowd are all for Trish. Like there have been other wrestlers who have been from Toronto and somehow Trish made that her city, which is very cool. Including another one in the main event who never quite Edge never really got that reaction in Toronto. It was all about Trish.
0: Uh, Todd Grisham then interviews Randy Orton. He says no one cares about Trish's retirement. He says Trish is the past. And in the past, Randy Orton became the youngest world champion in history back in 2004 in this building. He then calls Trish a bitch and says he's going to make Carlito his bitch. That is quite a heel promo. So they're doing this thing where Carlito
1: and Trish are sort of in a will they will not they slip off relationship. They, they were trying to push this. Trish wanted no part of it. It was very obvious. And she retires in the middle of it, which she obviously does not tell them far in advance. So the idea here is that, like, Carlito's fighting Randy sort of for her honor, but on the, in the match right after her retirement. It probably would have made more sense for that to happen before her match, but whatever. I just want you guys to imagine that, like, at WrestleMania 24— Ric Flair loses to Shawn Michaels. It's his last match, he retires. In the very next segment, Randy Orton comes out and is like, Yeah, Ric Flair is an old bitch. He should have done that. It, it she should have. That actually would have been very funny. That would funny. have been awesome. But like that that sort of thing doesn't happen to other people. Like so even though Trish, they do give her more of a send off than they ever have for any woman before, it's still well behind what they would another legend on her level.
0: Um Orton comes out just looking like a million bucks here. God, he's like, such a fucking stud. He's got the pyro entrance. He's got like the eight pack abs. Uh, I liked, I thought he looked better before he got the tattoo, before he got like his whole sleeves done. Um, like, I think he looks better with the spiky hair than kind of the bald head he went with later on. He looks cooler now. Don't get
1: me wrong. Like, he looks awesome. Uh, but right here, He's such a consummate heel because yeah. if you look at this person, you what could a never like you could never like this person. No. This like trust fun frat boy looking piece of shit who is a complete natural,'s had everything handed to him, he thinks he's so fucking perfect, and he is, and that's the problem. <laughs> And, like, this is the time where he's decided to, like, I'm going to be the least exciting wrestler of all time. My signature move is going to be to put people in headlocks and yank on that shit like I'm trying to pull their head off. And then I'm just going to stomp on each part of their body one by one for five minutes.
0: And Uh, I loved it. This feels like it was this feud feels like it was like last straw for Carlito. Like, I feel like this was the last time they seriously considered pushing him because his next big program after this is the one where Flair calls him out for being a lazy piece of shit.
1: And like Carlito and Orton are an interesting case because for both of them, they're both so fucking natural in the ring that it almost feels like it's too easy, right? There have been a lot of times with Orton where it just seems like he just kind of coasts by being incredibly good and able to do anything. And Carlito was the same way, except he just wasn't, quite as good as randy is he didn't no, have like no one less yeah that's the thing is that as painful as it might be for people to hear randy orton is probably the most natural best pro wrestler who ever lived that doesn't mean he's wrestled the best matches no. it just but means that he, there's nobody better able to do it than him
0: who is smoother who has better technique
1: just like yeah, it's like him naturally and, and then everybody else and steamboat had to work for it.
0: Um, Carlito busts open Orton when he does a lion salt, and his elbow lands right in his mouth. So Orton comes up bleeding. That really added some edge to this match. I loved it because then when Orton locks in that headlock, he's like bleeding yeah. from the
1: mouth. He looks rabid.
0: He's just <laughs> snarling. Um, yeah, Orton. This is yeah when it, the headlocks were his whole offensive repertoire at this point, and yeah. I complained about it at the time. In hindsight, I do kind of dig these matches where he's just like slowing it down and antagonizing the crowd. They were kind of
1: using Orton to try to like create a new kind of heel. One that like wasn't trying to be so over the top, was trying to slow things down old school style. And if you were on internet forums or whatever at the time, people hated Randy Orton. People like wanted to murder his children because they hated these headlocks so much. It was personal. And it's very funny to me now looking back on it and like, wow, that's actually just some like good solid heel work that's working and getting the crowd into Carlito. Huh? How, how,
0: how funny that he's just doing a good job. Um, Carlito makes a comeback that doesn't have nearly as much fire as it should. No. Orton catches him with a backbreaker, but Carlito comes back with the backcracker. Um, Carlito, springboards off the top rope, but Orton catches him out of the air with an RKO. This is the first time I remember him doing this kind of RKO. I may be forgetting something, but this feels like it was the birth of the RKO out of nowhere. And yeah, Lawler actually calls it that. I can't
1: remember if this is the first one or not, but I I hope it is for posterity's sake, because this move fucking rules. Yeah. Carlito jumps perfect. He goes to do one of his, like, jumping backflips, somersault fucking lucha shenanigans. And Orton catches him and just spikes him with the shit. Carlito takes it just right. Orton's got, like, the bloody mouth, and he looks psychotic when he comes up from hitting it. It's perfect. It's a perfect image. It literally, right here, is the future of Randy Orton's whole career. Because he had been kind of drifting post-Legend Killer. But then RKO out of nowhere literally defines his future. Yeah.
0: Uh, All right, it's main event time for the WWE title. We've got a TLC match as Edge defends against John Cena. As a reminder, John Cena has to leave Raw if he loses here. Edge is out first to a big pop in his hometown. He's got his um, Rated R Spinner belt. Uh, Love the dickishness of him getting his own title belt. It's It's literally just like a sticker. That they put on the spinner belt. That's
1: my favorite part. I almost wish that he hadn't thrown the other one in into the sea. And had just been like, yeah, I just put a fucking sticker over it. Mine's cooler. Because it, it literally just looks exactly the same. Obviously, it's only intended to be there. Like, I think it only lasts like three weeks in total, right? He,
0: he got it a couple weeks before this. And I don't think he ever uses it again, if I'm remembering right. I, I, don't know, he... He, I don't even know if he was ever the WWE champion again after this. Gosh, I don't think so. I think it was all world championships. Yeah, I think it was all worlds this. after this. Wow, that's
1: kind of that's kind of wild if you think about it. Uh, Yeah, but it is very cool. All the coolest champs get their own belt, right? <laughs> yeah. And Edge technically qualifies. This uh, is something interesting I want to say before this match starts is just that in the lead-up to this match, we start to see the version of, like, psychotic Edge that, like, up until now, he's just been like, Hockey dickhead edge but in the future what makes him incredible and is like become such a big part of his character especially now is that he has the ability to go to this place where he just fucking loses it and yeah. like that that takes him to a new level and the first time we see it is in the build-up to this match where he's just like i fucking hate you john cena i hate everything about you i so desperately want to be without you. he literally reads like the monologue from 10 things i hate about you to john cena and like he's like foaming at the mouth while he does it. It's very neat.
0: And like he carries that into this. Yeah. God, this scene edge feud. Just what a. Lo- I mean, it was several of them, but like one one of Wrestling's greatest rivalries. And like it's such a shame we never got a proper one-on-one match between them at WrestleMania. I think that's one of the biggest missed opportunities. Like they
1: feud I think three times for real. And two of them, one of them is right after WrestleMania right before WrestleMania one of them is right after a WrestleMania and one of them is here floating nebulously in the middle of the fall If they had just managed to get it on the big stage it would have been so amazing Yeah
0: It's just kind of the story of Cena's career that, like, other than The Rock, he never got his big matches at WrestleMania. Like, they'd always burn through him. And then at WrestleMania, they'd just be like, oh, let's have him wrestle, like, Bray Wyatt or somebody. Yeah, let's just
1: throw him in a triple threat, whatever. Who cares? (laughs) It's only the biggest star we have, whatever. And, like, somehow John Cena and Edge were perfect foils. And they never really stopped being perfect foils. Like, I, I guess Punk and Cena are, like, more diametrically opposed when you think about it but there was never somebody who brought out the best of cena like edge did
0: yeah um or cena gets a ton of heat loud cena sucks chance edge is in control until cena hip tosses him into a ladder that's set up um in the corner edge turns the tide he sets the ladder up in the corner, like runs up it and does a cross body out to the floor. That was a really awesome spot. I didn't remember.
1: Yeah, it really fucking is like he's going for it here.
0: Edge With a big chair shot. Cena comes back, locks edge in the STFU while he's gotten trapped in the ladder edge taps. But of course that doesn't matter in this match. Uh, Cena, goes up the ladder and does a five knuckle shuffle from the top of the ladder. I was not expecting that.
1: John Cena takes bigger spots and, and does bigger stuff in this match than I think I've ever, he has yeah. been in other matches sort of like this. He does a TLC with Ziggler and like, he's done stuff like that before, but like, he's like jumping off a let. He takes several bumps off of ladders here. I, I was, like, racking my brain to think of any time I'd ever seen John Cena take a bump higher than three feet ever. Like, he he's doing some wild shit in this match.
0: Edge nails Cena in the head with a chair and sets him up on a table. He goes and gets another table. He stacks up the table so that Cena's in the middle. Edge goes up to the top, but Cena pops up and shoves him off. Um... Cena climbs the ladder to go for the title. Edge climbs up the ladder in the corner, jumps off, and spears him off the ladder. Fucking awesome. God. Yeah, these guys just went all out in this match. This is an insane amount of bumps.
1: I don't want to say that Edge probably laid out most of this match, though. At this point, there's literally no better expert on ladder matches in all of creation than Edge. I don't
0: think Cena had ever been in a ladder match before this.
1: I seriously fucking doubt it, dude. In like doing
0: ladder matches in OVW,
1: were they? No, but like as good as this comes off, it's incredible too because this is not Cena's style. He's never up to this point been in, as far as I'm aware, any sort of like he'd been in like only like a couple of gimmick matches at all and they'd all been like bloody brawls. It hadn't been like this.
0: This is not this kind of spot fest that I can remember from him before this. But he rises to the occasion completely.
1: Like all of these spots are fucking awesome. Like, he takes the spear like a champion.
0: Edge goes for a crossbody. Cena catches him out of the air, gets him up for the FU. Cena tries to climb up the ladder, but Cena powers bombs him off the ladder into yeah. another ladder. Ouch. Yeah, is. <laughs> they go to the floor. Cena hits Edge with a chair. Cena climbs the ladder again. Lita runs out and tips the ladder over so Cena crashes through a table out on the floor. That was way bigger bump than I was expecting. I thought he was just going to hit the ropes. Is this the
1: biggest bump of his entire career? I think so. Nothing like, else is I- really jumping out at me. This bump is – it's literally just one table by itself, and it's not long ways like they normally do. It's horizontal. So you have to – he has to, like, turn his body in midair and try to fall through it like he's landing in a bathtub. And it bumps in such a way so that, like, the strap around the table doesn't break. So he winds up, like, snapping his neck against that. This is a huge fucking bump. And, like, I can't get over that it's John Cena taking it. It's not fucking Jeff Hardy. This is not what he does – And I'm sure the reason we've never seen him do it again is I bet you Vince McMahon had his butthole so puckered backstage watching the only star he has left fall through tables and shit. Um,
0: Edge climbs the ladder. Cena gets back in the ring. Lita hits Cena with a chair. He falls into the ladder, so that knocks the ladder down. Edge flies out of the ring through two tables on the floor well he missed one of them but he goes through the other one
1: if i have one criticism about this match it's probably that there were like big enough bumps to end this match like two yes. or three times and then they just kind of keep coming back
0: oh they don't the really last one is so awesome long. though
1: yeah the last one's worth it but i mean edge comes back into the ring like uh, basically one minute after he takes that yeah. giant bump through tables, which has put people out before.
0: Uh, Cena hits the FU on Lita. Uh, unfortunately, it knocked over like the stacked tables, and those are part of the finish, so he has to just like reset the stacked tables for no reason. It
1: actually winds up working because the announcers treat it like it, they weren't already stacked, and they're just like, John, John, what are you thinking about, John? what are, What are you planning? He actually does some great acting here, which I was very surprised. This is more like late Cena matches kind of stuff where he so badly wants to go out and keep whooping Edge's ass. And you can like see it on his face like he's trying to go outside the ring and then he just keeps looking back at the belt like, I guess I need the belt, Fuck.
0: Uh, they both fight on the ladder. Cena gets Edge with an FU off the ladder through the two stacked tables. What an insane bump.
1: One of the coolest bumps in ladder match history, for my Rap. money. Like, this yeah. is... I want you to imagine how strong John Cena is for a second. He's standing on a ladder, which are, is precarious enough because it's in a ring, which is constantly shaking and bouncing around. Edge just kind of, like, jumps onto his shoulders... And he just doesn't move. All of like the 200 plus pounds of edge just like settle onto his shoulders without even a perceptible like issue for John Cena. And then he just tosses him off casually. <laughs> That's fucking crazy, man. John
0: Cena's not human. <sighs> Cena grabs the belt and wins. I what a match. Like, I this never gets talked about with the greatest ladder matches of all time, but I really feel like it should be. This is, I, I
1: have been in love with this match for a very long time, and I'm glad that we finally got a chance to talk about it because I feel like it's completely overlooked when it comes to even the feud of John Cena and Edge. This part never really gets talked about for whatever reason, but I love this match. It's a side of John Cena that we really only get to see in this one match in his entire career. Like, it, it never, even the match with Ziggler, which is meant to be a facsimile of this, doesn't feel like this. Yeah, like this is, is good. The matches where John Cena's pulled out of his usual element and is forced to become something else in order to win, you don't see a lot of them, but they're very special. Like The Last Man Standing versus Umaga, where he has to become, like, a dirty street fighter in order to win. (laughs) Like, those are the coolest kinds of John Cena matches. They have become more and more rare over time because... Or like Cena having to wrestle Punk in Chicago under those circumstances. Or RVD in the ECW arena. Or Brian when brian has got all the momentum in the world. Those are the most special John Cena matches. This one holds a special place in my heart.
0: And that is the end of the show. I'd say overall pretty enjoyable. Better than I was expecting. I was expecting garbage.
1: I, I remember that the main event was fantastic. But I was expecting the rest of it to suck. Especially DX versus the McMahons. I really enjoyed this show. This is one of the funnest ones we've watched in a long time.
0: Yeah. Um, God, that DX McMahon's match was insane. And just, yeah, uh, really liked the opener. Lita and Trish was a great match, great moment. And, you know, the other stuff was pretty inoffensive. Do you remember what happens right after this?
1: Uh, no. <laughs> Kevin Federline, baby. If yes, that isn't a that's throwback right. to the year 2006, I don't know what is. A-fed. Fucking k getting f you'd by John Cena, which is the first thing John Cena ever did that everyone universally thought was cool.
0: And Cena did a job for him.
1: Yeah. That was actually, like basically, he has a whole different storyline going on, and that one literally steals attention, because k is one of the greatest wrestling heels who's ever walked the face of the earth. Yeah.
0: Um, if you're too young to remember, Kevin Federline was one of Britney Spears' backup dancers, and they ended up dating and, I believe, briefly getting married.
1: Yes, and everyone blamed him for her like having a mental breakdown. We now know the context of that whole situation yes. a lot better these days. Pre-Britney. Yeah, he's not nearly the villain that we portrayed him as at the time. But it, it, it must be mentioned that he comes on here with Johnny Nitro And the second that the camera gets on him, he is the smarmiest, smuggest douchebag who has ever lived, and he loves it. I wish he had stayed. I wish he had just stayed as, like, Johnny Nitro's manager, because he kills it. Yeah, he really should have, because his own music career did not work out. No, it really didn't. Neither did his marriage, and I don't know where the fuck he is now. Now he's, like, an unexpected ally of the Free Britney campaign.
0: Yeah, good for him. Yeah. Okay, so next time uh, we're going to have some fun with WCW Fall Brawl 1999. Um, most notable thing about this show is it takes place a couple days after Eric Bischoff got his ass fired. I love covering these
1: WCW shows, which are so obviously like in limbo. Yes. Like This isn't quite when Vince Russo's taken over nah, yet, and it's not Russo yet. And it's not quite an Eric Bischoff show. So there's really nobody at the helm. So everything that happens on the show is just a, a weird mix of let's just keep the boat going normally until the good somebody else figures it out. And people trying to make weird power
0: grabs. Yeah. They're and, just kind of tre- – they're just treading water. Just, how insane is it to fire the guy in charge of the company? right before a pay-per-view like you would think you at least let him do the pay-per-view and then be like okay now we can start fresh when at least we got a few weeks until our next pay-per-view or given that Halloween Havoc was arguably their biggest pay-per-view of the year maybe let him get through Halloween Havoc before you can him yeah
1: I do wonder like since it's basically a television company there's like no real like season finale and I almost feel like that's why it's a good reason to actually do those even yes. in wrestling companies they have is an just off so you season. Can, yeah. Just to have a definitive end to stuff so that you can rebuild if you need to rebuild. Yeah, Here
0: just, yeah. they just like, pull them
1: because they don't see a better time.
0: This is the thing, is inevitably, like, writers, wrestlers, everybody's gonna leave. It would be a lot easier if you could just be like, okay, you know, get us through the end of the season and then we'll replace you. I've never understood
1: why they don't do that with WrestleMania. It is I don't understand why they don't just be like WrestleMania is the end of all of the storylines for the past year. We start fresh on Monday
0: with a whole new crop of motherfuckers. Like yeah, some it's some always people might to me like, like it would be gr- they should really take like the month of May off. Like do the month after WrestleMania because there's always some like, you know, heat after. There's always there's always interest after WrestleMania. But then by May, I feel like it's all dissipated. So I would make the April pay-per-view like a kind of season finale and then yeah. like take May off and come back fresh in june with new stuff come back with the draft that's the yeah.
1: first show back that would kick ass yeah
0: here's then the draft for a whole new year i would take i would probably take december off too. like have survivor series be kind of an uh, like an end point to take december off and come back fresh for the new year
1: and especially now when you have millions of hours of content and whatever else just put some other stuff on man
0: yeah and you could easily just do like okay we're gonna do best of clip shows and we're gonna mix in interviews with the guys like do it be like okay we're gonna show a you know classic roman reigns match next but first we're gonna have an interview with them
1: i still think that there would be a market for the thing that we love the most in the whole world and that's just like here's roman reigns Like, doing commentary on his own match up against Seth Rollins. Like, wouldn't that just kick so much ass? I would definitely watch that. Just, like, a special way to watch your favorite old matches would just be very cool. Or just, like, show a whole ass Raw from, like, October 6, 1998, and it's commentated by The Shield. And they're like, whoa, this is crazy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like the Manning Brothers Monday Night Football thing, which was great. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, WSW did not do that. Instead, they had to put on this pay-per-view days after they would fired the guy who had been their leader for years and years at this point. And as I remember, it's a pretty bad pay-per-view, but a very interesting time for the company. So we'll have all that more next time on The Lawcast. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next time.